0: You're listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. Our prayer is that this encourages you in the Lord. Well, good morning. Hope everybody's well today. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open those to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, we're going to pick up in verse 19 and go through verse 32. Acts chapter 26 beginning in verse 19 through verse 32. If, if you are new to Covenant, uh, just to kind of give you a little bit of an understanding of why we do what we do here or what we're doing this morning is we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible and so we started our journey in the book of Acts um, last Easter and, and Lord willing that journey will take us all the way up to this Easter. So we're certainly on the tail end of our journey through the book of Acts but I pray um, for those of you that have been here, that it has been as impactful for you as it has for me personally. Um, and for those of you that maybe um, haven't been here, I encourage you to uh, j- just start in Acts chapter 1 and, and, and begin reading. I, I, I promise you that, that it will be interesting. Um, you may not understand every single thing, but, but you will understand enough. Um, and, and it's the story of uh, the first church and, and how the first church was birthed starting there in Acts chapter 2, and, and we've said this almost every week, not every week, but almost every week, that this is an ancient text, but it's really relevant to us because this is the story of how the gospel made its way all the way to our ears. In Acts chapter 26, it is a compelling scene. Um, we've spent a good bit of time in this section, uh, more than we have the others, because of, of the nature of it, but the apostle Paul is—he's incarcerated. Um, he is going before King Agrippa. Um, he's also been before Governor Festus prior in Acts twenty-four and twenty-five, um, and and he's been arrested for one reason. The reason uh, for his arrest and his incarceration is for the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he's gone through these hearings, hearing after hearing after hearing, um, and and they've essentially found him innocent. But but the Jewish uh, community is just overall not excited about what Paul is preaching. In fact, in almost every city that he's found himself in preaching the gospel, um, they have tried to seize him. They have stoned him. He suffered great persecution at the hands of his own people, um, again, simply because of his proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, his, his defense, Paul's defense before King Agrippa is one of the more powerful um, explanations for the Christian faith in the entire Bible, in, in, in my opinion, and possibly one of the most powerful um, apologetics that has ever been given for uh, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is why we have spent as much time in it as we have. And so I encourage you to go back and read, if you haven't in a while, just to freshen your mind, or maybe read it for the first time there in Acts 26 and see uh, how Jesus Christ himself impacted Paul's life. And so what I want us to do this morning, I want us to read through this part just a couple of verses at a time, Um, and I'll give you some commentary and and a couple of small takeaways along the way, and then we'll conclude our time with two main takeaways that I think will be really impactful for all of us and and something that we can leave with, uh, maybe even with a better understanding of why God has us still on this planet today. So look down with me at verse 19. The Apostle Paul, before King Agrippa, says, Therefore, O King Agrippa... I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the regions of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Verse 21, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and and tried to kill me. And, and so Paul speaks to an obedience. Now he speaks of it in a negative way by saying that he was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And the heavenly vision that he was referencing was when the, the resurrected Christ himself met him on the road to Damascus. And just to remind you, the apostle Paul at this point was called Saul, and he was on the Damascus road to go continue persecuting and killing the very ones who proclaim the gospel that he now is proclaiming Faithfully, And Jesus Christ met him on that road around midday. As we saw last week, a bright light shone around him. And, and brothers and sisters, from that point forward, uh, Paul was actually blinded for a, um, a couple of days at that point. But he saw more with his eyes closed than he'd ever seen prior. Um, the Lord himself opened his eyes to the truth of who he was. And, and Paul is proclaiming here that he was obedient to The heavenly vision Paul's obedience was immediate he immediately obeyed Paul's obedience as we've seen was intentional and Paul's obedience was persistent Paul's obedience also required three main things and the first thing that Paul's obedience required was its content. Um, this is vital, vital for us to understand, and I hope we understand more of it by the time we get to the end of this message, but the content of his obedience was the gospel. Paul's, Paul's commission was not to go keep his mouth closed about the truth of Jesus Christ and just go live a certain way and, and to do certain things among his people and among the Gentiles. And so his obedience required a content, and the content was the Old Testament Scriptures at this time, And the gospel itself and Paul's obedience required an intent. The intent of Paul's obedience was repentance and salvation. And we've seen local churches birthed in city after city as Paul goes and shares the gospel there. And those local churches were to make disciples and that was to be on repeat. And so it required his content, the scriptures and the gospel and the intent was repentance, salvation, churches birthed and that continued and continued and continued all the way to the ends. Of the earth, and then the extent of his obedience was his whole life. Paul's obedience to the commission that Jesus Himself gave him was not something that he saw as a, uh, just to put it in more modern terms, a Sunday to Sunday obedience. It wasn't just a Sunday morning, Sunday night, or, or or even just a Wednesday night obedience. It wasn't just a quiet time in the morning and maybe say a prayer. At bedtime, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but the extent of Paul's obedience and what it was was required in that was his entire life, and we've seen that. We've seen the apostle throughout the book of Acts live moment by moment obedient to the call from the heavenly vision, which was from Christ Himself. We've seen that in this extent, it often led to persecution. So let's continue in verse 22. He says, to this day I've had the help that comes from God. And I don't know if you underline or highlight in your Bible, but I love that phrase. I love what Paul acknowledges there, that God has helped him and been with him the whole way. And so he says, to this day I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Verse 23 that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, He would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And Paul is getting back to the content that we mentioned earlier. And so with God's help, he is again testifying that the servant of Israel, the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament, and by the way, that which King Agrippa, who was Jewish, was looking to, and hoping for, and all of these Jews that hated Paul for preaching Jesus Christ were looking to this exact same Messiah, and Paul's consistent testimony and content over his proclamation of the gospel has been this Messiah did come, and the Old Testament Scriptures spoke to him coming in the exact way that he did. So the apostle here is reiterating that the Old Testament said that The Messiah of Israel would suffer. He would die. He would be raised from the grave. And He would be a light to the nations. This, this, in Paul's mind, is not a new story. This isn't some new thing that he's dreamed up. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy of bringing the light of God to the Jews and to the Gentiles. In verse 24, we see Festus, who's the governor, his response, it says, "And and as he was saying... These things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. I mean, if you've been with us through this journey, you can understand that, that Festus, his belly is full He's dealt with Paul much longer than he wanted to have to deal with Paul. He's investigated Paul. He's done his due diligence. And he just can't find anything wrong with Paul, at least as it relates to the Roman authority and Roman law. And so he sort of interjects here with a loud voice and says, you're just crazy. (laughs) That's literally what this word means. That you've gone mad. He thinks that he's insane. Festus is essentially saying that Paul was a maniac. Interestingly, from the Latin translation of the word that's used here, we get our English term insane. He's had enough. He has an unprofessional outburst towards Paul. But if you notice in verse 25, the apostle Paul is not deterred. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus but I am speaking true and rational words. Don't you love that Paul was not ruffled? His feathers weren't ruffled. He he'd listened to the charge and to the insult of Festus. But what Paul knew is that the gospel essentially was not about religion. It was about truth. And truth, friends, is what matters the most. And the truth that Paul mentions here is a word for truth that speaks to known truth, not hidden truth. In fact, look at verse 26, the last part of verse 26. He says, For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. This has been open." In Romans chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul is speaking to the depravity of mankind... He makes this statement of how God has revealed Himself generally to everyone. That there's hardly a person that is genuinely and authentically an atheist in this sense that they look around and honestly believe deep down in the core of who they are that this came from nothing. It's it's been known. God has made Himself known in general ways through creation and then in specific ways through His Word and through The work of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so if you have eyes to see, this is the reality. In fact, Paul is also probably referencing here, this is not done in a corner of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ didn't resurrect and then send a secret message to His disciples to go meet Him in the wilderness. He appeared to 500 plus people. There were many eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't know how familiar you are with other major religions, but many of them, and certainly many of the smaller cults that are not only today, but have been a part of history, come from someone, usually one person, having a private revelation. And how those things get traction, I don't understand. But somebody with a little charisma that claims to have heard from God, and they just suck people right in. Well, Christianity is not that. It wasn't done in a corner. And and so the Apostle Paul looks at King Agrippa and and he says, "You, you know these things. In a sense, they're undeniable. And so from creation to the resurrection, Christianity is not based on secret revelation given to one purpose. Its evidence is everywhere. And scripture alone gives the rationality. That's why Paul says, I speak with true and rational words. Scripture gives the rationality to what we see. And so the general revelation we see and go, man, there has to be something greater out there. And so we begin to seek. And when we look to the truth of scripture, we see the rationale behind what we know we see. And that's what Paul is getting at. I'm, I'm speaking true and rational words, a stark contrast from, you're insane. <laughs> You've lost your mind. No, actually I haven't. These are true words and these words are rational. Verse 27. He sets his gaze back into the eyes of King Agrippa or at least the attention towards him. For the king knows about these things and to him I speak boldly for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice for this has not been done in a corner look at verse 27 now he turns his head and locks eyes with King Agrippa King Agrippa do you believe the prophets and he knows the answer I know that you believe then Agrippa's response and Agrippa said to Paul in a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian It's sad. Arguably, the greatest missionary Christian preacher ever, God has orchestrated and ordained to be standing right in front of King Agrippa, making eye contact. Sharing the truth of the gospel in an eloquent, spirit-filled way, connecting the dots of the Old Testament Scriptures to the person and work of Jesus Christ, And Agrippa says, not quite. You know, I wonder in that moment, if you've been with us, you know, or are familiar with Acts 26, this this scene is filled with great pomp. And so Agrippa is wealthy, he's educated, he has everything that the world has to offer. And I wonder if in that moment, if Agrippa just took one gaze down at his robe, thought, man, I like this robe. Or glanced at his rings and thought, man, this, this is valuable or thought about his prior life of education and power and authority and all of those things that he currently had in his hands. And he just thought about those things and considered those things and said, I'm not there. Too much to lose. And in his mind, he had to have concluded too little to gain in following Jesus Christ. Well, Paul is again undeterred. Verse 29. And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with him. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he himself had not appealed to Caesar. So Paul, undeterred by Agrippa's response, he moves to everyone else. So he's locked eyes with Agrippa and confronts him. Do you believe? And Agrippa says, no, no. Not quite, Paul. And, and Paul, undeterred, he, he moves his eyes to everyone else. And he essentially, and I'm paraphrasing obviously, but he, he looks around the room and says, my, my prayer and my hope is that God Himself would cause everyone that can hear my voice right now to have the hope that I have. To come to know Jesus Christ. To be forgiven of their sins. And to have an eternity that uh, guarantees their safety in God's presence forever. Forever. So I want you to have everything that I have. Except, of course, for these chains. Paul's heart for souls. His passion and love, not only for the gospel, but for people. It reminds me of Romans chapter 9. In the chapter where Paul writes what might be some of the more deep theological truths in all the Bible... We see his heart in this. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Listen, friends, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. It's actually an impossibility what he describes here. He can never be cut off from Christ. Because Christ secured His salvation. But what we see is His heart and His passion. He has an unceasing anguish when He looks into the eyes of people knowing what their spiritual fate is if they don't come to trust Jesus. And to be honest with you, I'm, I'm so deeply challenged by that. And I hate to disappoint you as as a pastor or your pastor and you go, well, I thought that's why you're doing what you're doing. I mean, yes, there's truth there, but like a consistency in that. A consistent passion for souls. So much so that I'd go to hell for them. Think about that. Be cut off. The Apostle Paul was committed not only to the content of his obedience, which was the gospel, but also the intent was salvation. He wanted to see people saved. And so the very man that God used to give us the majority of the Old Testament and write some deep, tremendous doctrines that I know many of you love, is standing right before us in Acts 26 pleading will anyone believe anyone you know, I think there's a temptation, especially when we have a desire to learn more of Scripture and to grow in our knowledge of Scripture. And, and some of you may end up pursuing some conferences or seminary type things. And I know that's not the majority of people, but, but, but there is a desire in us to learn and to grow. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I pray, starting with myself, that we never we never get away from the reality and the purpose that God has us here. And it's to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ to whoever will sit there long enough and listen to us. And so in this moment. I want to ask you. Have you trusted Jesus? Or are you like King Agrippa? Have you been privileged to sit in service after service and hear the gospel? Have you been privileged to live with a spouse or to have children that faithfully share the gospel with you? But over and over and over and over, for whatever reason, you just say, not quite. The fact that you're here today is a tremendous grace from God. Because you're here. Hearing the gospel. Again. And the gospel is that Jesus Christ came as the God-man and lived the life that we could not live. You know this by now. You're old enough to know. That if perfection is required, you're not it. And neither am I. And you've seen enough to know, similar to what Paul said to Agrippa, like you know these things, you're looking around, you, you, like let's be honest, this can't be random. This isn't a random deal. There is a Creator, that, so there's some truth that we plainly see, and what we've read this morning, and part of what we've read this morning gives rationale to what we plainly see, that there is a Creator, and it is the God of the Bible. And sin has separated us from Him and we have no way to get to Him on our own. And so He did in His infinite grace and mercy what we could never do for ourselves and and came down to us and lived the life that we could not live and died the death that we deserve. And the message of the Gospel for those that haven't trusted Jesus is, is come to this Jesus. Come to Him. Exactly the way that you are. There's... There's no sense in trying to clean yourself up. I mean, this is silly, but have you ever tried to clean your cell phone screen with your finger? It just makes it worse. It just makes it worse. We can't clean ourselves up. Hence the Gospel. (laughs) So I'm with Paul today. I pray that somebody if there's anybody in this place that hasn't trusted Jesus Christ that you would today now on that note and for those that have trusted Jesus Christ i think we should be challenged by what we've seen that there are at least there's probably more but i want to just say there there are two types of evangelism Long-term evangelism and short-term evangelism. And I want you to see this with me because if you don't see it with me, you might think, well, this dude's preaching two totally different sermons. Well, look at verse 29 in Paul's response. He says, whether short or long, and what he's referencing, he's responding to what Agrippa says, do you really think in this short of a time that you could convince me of something of this magnitude? And Paul says, well, whether short or long, which would assume that you, there's a reality of short-term evangelism, and then there's a reality of long-term evangelism. And evangelism just means the sharing of the gospel. The intentionality of sharing the gospel. The Us, you and I as, as Christians, understanding um, what God has called us to and understanding that our obedience, what is required of that, is the content of the gospel, the intent that is salvation, and the extent our whole life. And so what was required of Paul is the same that's required of us. And so let's talk through these two types. First is long-term. Long-term evangelism is natural, relational, and has a huge place in our lives. And I think it's safe to say that long-term evangelism is the norm. Um, In this form of sharing the gospel or evangelism tends to be especially useful with the people that are woven into our lives. And so when, we, when you think long-term evangelism, again, I'm building from what we talked about earlier, and the extent of what God's called us to as Christians is our whole life of sharing the content of the gospel. And so long-term evangelism uh, requires a tremendous intentionality. And so you probably go to the same gas station frequently If you live in a neighborhood, you have neighbors that you see often. If you go to work, you have a cubicle or a desk beside somebody. If you're on a ball team, which that's amping up. I don't know if y'all are as excited as I am about it. But people, people are there. And so, this long-term evangelism is is in our intentionality and understanding that God has us on this planet. We breathe for this purpose. We still have blood in our veins for this purpose. You you are drawn. Your kids are drawn ultimately to ball because of this purpose. You're in the school. The neighbor. It's all about this. This intentionality and living, understanding that the people, the real people that have real souls, that if they don't come to faith in Christ, they're going to perish. And God has a plan for them to hear the Gospel, and it's you and me. And so this requires intentionality. It requires living in such a way that we understand the spiritual reality. And so this long-term evangelism is, is of those that we will see again and again. Think of it like, a, a, you know, this, this may confuse some of you, but like a brick-at-a-time type mentality. Like you're building a house and it's just a, a brick at a time. A conversation at a time because we think we have more time, which we don't always. This involves the type of obedience that we mentioned earlier, the content, the intent and the extent and brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to this. We are called to this and every single one of us, almost every single one of us has the opportunity for it. But let's be honest. How many of us would engage in what Paul did here? Agrippa did not expect that Paul would press the importance of this news to his conscience and call for a response in their first conversation. Think about that. First conversation with Agrippa. Do you believe this? Put the man on the spot, preaching towards, proclaiming towards a decision. Paul had a one-shot mentality. Paul is showing, and he showed elsewhere, the long-term type of evangelism. Here, he's showing us the short-term. Short-term evangelism speaks to those moments that we know are right. And friends, I want to expound on this a little bit because, because timing is very important. But there are moments, and I don't know if you've had them or not. I'm going to assume that you'll at least understand what I'm talking about if you've never had them. But there are moments whenever we first meet someone or sit down beside someone or walk by someone or overhear something from someone, and we know the Lord wants me to share the gospel with them. How does that feel? Terrible, usually, right? This week I was at the hospital and I, was, I went to the cafeteria to get something to eat. And there was this young man in front of me, and, and the, the girl that was checking him out was doing a really good job, I thought. Like she, hey, hey, how's your day? Everybody that came through, hey, how's your day? Well, this guy that was right in front of me, he said, um, it's actually terrible. It's bad. She was like, I caught off guard, you know, she was thinking, oh, great, what have I got myself into here? Shouldn't I ask this dude? And she's like, and, and I commend her for this, but well, what's going on? And he began to explain how his, his grandmother was just like that day, I think just prior to that lunch he was eating, placed under hospice care and didn't have much longer to live, and, and, and he just began to express his sadness towards that. And, and then the girl, obviously feeling overwhelmed and probably out of her league, at that moment, um, said, yeah, life stinks. And I knew right then. I knew right then that the Lord wanted me to act. Well, I didn't act immediately. I went ahead and bought my food, and I was really, really excited about that pizza that I was about to eat. And so I went, and you guys, listen, like you would think after 16 years of preaching in pulpits that that particular moment wouldn't make me sweat instantly and my mouth dry out and me have all these fears. But I sit there and I'm looking at my pizza and I'm like, man, I'm going to eat this thing slow because I think that dude can probably eat his cheeseburger faster and he can get out of here and then I'll just... Chalk it up, you know. Oh, missed him, you know. And so I eat my pizza and I look and this dude's just eating like a fry at a time. I'm like, man, I'm going to have to go over there. Anyway, and, and so listen, friends, listen. listen I, I, obviously, I'm not, I'm not boasting in myself. I'm really being transparent with you, letting you know how difficult it was. And, and I would love to think that if I knew that I wasn't preaching this message Sunday, that I still would have done it. But nonetheless, with confusion in my mind, fear... Probably mixed motives. I just walked up to the young man and said, Look, first scared him to death, of course. I said, Hey man, I, I heard your conversation. I just want you to know that I'm going to be praying for you. And I got his name. And I said, I've, I've been in similar places. And the only one to look to is Jesus Christ. And you know what? The heavens didn't open up he didn't say I want to get saved I literally have no idea where Terrell is today but I've prayed for and so friends those moments and, and and I've missed some those moments that we know yes timing matters yes context matters but listen so does courage We've all had a bad taste in our mouth for those sort of street evangelists, right? And we automatically think that that's what we mean when we say short term. Like we went to, um, uh, unfortunately, the bowl game that Auburn played in Nashville um, right after Christmas. And on the way to the stadium, crossing the bridge to Titan Stadium, there were no less than six or seven street preachers. And I'm walking through there going, man, there's a better way. As they're screaming in their bullhorn, repent or perish to people who are mocking them and laughing at them. And, and, and I do think that there's a better way. Like there's Sure, but, but, but where I landed was at least they're consistent. You know, if they believe that people without Jesus Christ are going to spend eternity in hell, at least they're consistent. Even though it may be like a bull in a china shop on that bridge over to the stadium. At least they're consistent. And of course, I was looking for some pastoral care at the end of the game. They were all gone. So. But. This drive by type evangelism, as some have called it, it feels unnatural. It feels ineffective. It feels abrupt. We're most likely going to offend somebody. Um, It's considered impolite. It's considered undemocratic. We can say things like, it's just not for me. And really my main encouragement for you in this, in this, is that you be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And if you know, you know. Go. Don't worry about how good of a job you do. Don't worry about your oracle skills. That's not what saves anyway. But you know what else doesn't? Drinking coffee together and help them pick up sticks in their yard. Keep drinking coffee. Keep serving them, but service projects don't raise the dead. Only the gospel does. And so for clarity, it's not one or the other, it's both and. It's that we are a people that live understanding the content that we have, never leaving the content that we have behind and knowing that whether it's long term or it's short term, the power of Jesus is in the gospel, in the proclamation of that gospel. And what I've noticed is that the more short term mindset I have, the more effective long term evangelism is. Because it seems odd to know somebody three, four, maybe even five or six months and then all of a sudden start talking about Jesus. What are they going to think? Well, wait, so why'd you wait till now? If it's that important to you, it's where that intentionality comes in. We understand what our obedience requires, and it's the content of the gospel. And so I want to remind. You, as I remind myself this morning of two things as we close. Very simple gospel truth does advance through well established relationships and short bursts of proclamation. It does. But the gospel doesn't advance at all if it's not shared. It doesn't and we have a responsibility to share the gospel the gospel is a message that's made up of words that's meant to be spoken so that it can be heard and according to Romans 10 that's where faith comes from and so coupled with our good deeds coupled with our relational desire to get to know people and all of that stuff is not bad but friends The gospel spreads when the gospel's shared. And so my prayer for for us as Covenant Church this morning, and if you're not a part of Covenant Church, my prayer for you as well, in in, in your home church if you have one, is that we would be a, a people that are boldly and courageously committed to the proclamation of the gospel. But we understand the content is the gospel, and there's no salvation without the gospel. We understand the intent is to see salvation and we also understand the extent is every day of our lives that we're not just gospel proclaiming people when we're together but we're people who live with great intentionality to share and proclaim the gospel wherever the Lord has us let's pray we'd like to thank you for listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church Tuscaloosa If you have any questions or would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at www.covchurchtusk.com or you can email info at covchurchtusk.com. God bless.